welcome to The Near Memo, a weekly conversation about search, social, and commerce. What happened, why it matters, and the implications for local. Hello again. Welcome to episode number 54 of The Near Memo with uh, David, Mike, and me, Greg Sterling, to talk about the developments of the week in search, social, and commerce, and with a local uh, hint of local or whatever <laughs> local accent <laughs> yeah with a local accent is better um we're we're, we're not going to talk about ukraine today although that's very much on most people's minds and it's horrific but we're going to take a break from that uh this week even though we're thinking about it and um for my item this week i'm going to lead off with the bright local study that was released at the end of january uh their annual consumer review study survey um, which asks a lot of questions about how do you, how often do you read reviews and how many stars do you need before you'll consider a business and what motivates you to write reviews and uh, the balance between positive and negative reviews and what creates credibility and where do you read reviews. But um, so it's interesting. I linked to it in, t- in Friday's uh, newsletter. Um, but the thing that caught my eye was a kind of a paradox between increased reliance on reviews what they found was that um i'll have to look at the particular number uh they found you know something like 77 percent of consumers now always or regularly read local reviews which is up from 60 percent in 2020 so it's a meaningful increase and the number of people who never read reviews was down to 2% from 13% in 2020. Mm-hmm. So people, you know, more and more people are reading reviews. But the other thing that was striking in the opposite direction is that, um, you know, 62% of consumers said they had encountered a fake review at some point in the past year. Um, but more significantly, uh, the survey found that 67% of respondents said having seen a fake review it made them more distrustful of online reviews in general. So we've got a situation where people are more reliant on reviews, using reviews, engaged with reviews more often, but also seemingly more distrustful of reviews. And just one more, before you guys jump in, one more comment. Um, The survey asked them where were the fake reviews distributed according to their perception. And people in in sort of the (laughs) rank order, um, Amazon, Google, and Facebook, and then Yelp, TripAdvisor, Apple Maps. So the top three, Amazon, Google, and Facebook, were where most people thought they'd seen fake reviews, um, which is not necessarily in accord with what's actually going on, although there's a lot of fake reviews on Amazon. Um, but the other thing that was interesting was that people, they, they the, the question sought to get more uh, insight into how suspicious people were. So even though Facebook was number three in terms of the places where people had seen fake reviews, 70%, it was number one in terms of people being suspicious about the the reviews on Facebook. So in other words, most people Mm -hmm. were more suspicious of reviews on Facebook than they were Amazon or Google, if that makes sense. Even though they had seen fake reviews less often, according to the survey, they were more suspicious. And I think this reflects just the bad reputation that Facebook has now. People, you know, Facebook does a bunch of shady stuff. They've had a bunch of scandals. And so people are inclined to believe that there's going to be more 
bad behavior there. And so they're translating that into sort of a perception of reviews, which I think is where a lot of the data in the survey come from is perception, not based on actual experience. In the Uberall transparency company survey, Google was the place where there were the most fake reviews, then Yelp, then TripAdvisor, and Facebook was the lowest of the four that were measured. We didn't look at Amazon for different reasons. So I just find all of that kind of interesting and um, reflective of a larger trend where people are compelled for whatever reason to use online tools and services, but they trust them less and less. So any thoughts or comments on that? Well, my first thought is just a couple of weeks ago, Google published an article about what a great job they're doing with moderation. <laughs> so either they're delusional or they believe their own PR or it is what it is and they're not going to do anything about it. I mean, in the end, they have a very large responsibility in this whole thing. And they have, from my point of view, never done much to sustain the integrity of reviews. And I think that if that continues, it will lead to ultimately, perhaps five years out, a decline in the value of and usefulness of reviews. That being said, I think users are also getting smarter in how they use reviews. Like I was again looking at an exercise bicycle. I looked at several that were recommended in consumer reports, Peloton, which I counted out because of the price, although now I'm counting out because of quality control issues. But then there was two others. There was a Schwinn and a Soul and the Schwinn became obvious just looking at the negative reviews that there was physical problems that they didn't fix quickly. And so, again, so I didn't look at, they didn't really care about the overall thing other than what consumers said, reports said, but I did care about the fact that there were specific issues that the company didn't deal with correctly. And those persisted. It wasn't like two years ago and they went away. Whereas with the soul, that didn't happen. The complaints that they had were with the quality of the customer service, not with anything about the product. So I think that to some extent in a place like Amazon, you it doesn't matter if you're looking mostly at negative reviews for specific details, whether the positive reviews are fake or not. And I don't know on yeah. Google whether that's the case. Greg's dog is clearly very animated. By yes, the well, she 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 she, she was she was there. recently in the in a, in the market for an exercise bike herself, and uh, was frustrated <laughs> by the lack of consensus around recommendations online. Um, yes, uh, Mike, I think I think you brought up a, a pretty interesting point that Greg has made in, in the past. Um, you sort of made it obliquely. You said, "Oh, you started with you know consumer reports, and then you sort of." went down your consumer journey for there and from there. And Greg has mentioned sites like the wire cutter previously, you know, CNET doing reviews of electronics has, has been around for a long time, that sort of thing. And the, what it's, what it seems to me, Greg, I, I sort of, I sort of buy into your sort of dilution of the overall impact of reviews as they become more spam filled. Uh, that I think consumers will start to move towards these more long-form, independent, published reviews from reputable sources as they're potentially everything from starting point to end point in their journey. And so I still think they're going to be discovered via Google. I think I don't think that the Google's place in the consumer journey is necessarily at risk, but as the reviews in the local pack become less and less and less trustworthy, you might see 
um, some of these longer form sites, not Yelp, um, but I mean, people who review things professionally, gaining a little bit more traction. Um, and I think I looking at my own behavior, I, I've sort of, I can sort of sense the similar thing that I'm not really, I sort of expect every restaurant to have at least four stars, which is probably what the bright local survey. Yeah. That, that's the, that's the threshold. Sort of the, the that's default. the threshold to be yeah. considered. Yeah. So I expect, I expect a certain level of quality product uh, in, in local reviews, but then I'm much more likely to dive into, okay, what does the Willamette week say? Or maybe there's a, a, you know, an article that got published on Eater about, a, you know, top 38 restaurants or the new restaurants or whatever. And that's just, that's just in restaurants. It's also true in so many other areas that, that I find myself searching in travel, um, pers- home, fur- you know, home furnishings, that sort of thing. I can, I've sort of seen myself using blogs and other, other review sources that have independent credibility much more in the last, I would say, two to three years. So I think that that may be the, the logical outcome of this is that, yeah, those, those gold stars are, are sort of necessary table stakes to gain consideration, uh, potentially, but that you're, you're sort of using that as a checkpoint, not as a, okay, this is going to determine the decision of, of where I make my Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely true. Um, another thing that consumers do that we, we discovered from um, sur- surveys at Uberall uh, when I was there is that people increasingly look to multiple sites for consensus. I mean, I've done that in travel. It's like you look at one site, then you go to other sites to see if the, the, the statements and ratings are consistent. <laughs> Um, even though fake reviews can be duplicated across sites or people that are faking reviews on one site may fake them on another site. But I think, I think that the, the whole process of looking for using reviews has become much more complicated um, and burdensome you know, for people. And I do think the expert reviews will play a much larger role in certain categories. Um, you know, I- it also depends on um, the technique you use depends on how serious the question is. I mean, if you're buying a spatula. Yes. C- consideration is you a know, big, big issue. Yeah. Right. You're going to just take whatever <laughs> cooked. You're going to probably take whatever Cook's Illustrated said and just buy that one. Right. If you're, you know, buying like an exercise bike, it might require more research. But then there may be things that you want to become an expert in yourself and those in which you, you know, make different decisions. So it depends a lot on the, and a doctor might be an altogether different thing, although around here, can't really pick. Yeah, I mean, I I, I I sense that there's some sort of opportunity for somebody in all of this, but I don't know exactly what that would look like from a consumer standpoint because I think it's just you know very difficult to launch a new consumer site that has any kind of review or review aggregation. But I I feel like there is some successor to the current review paradigm that we need. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but we should probably move right. on. David is short on time today. Um, so, uh, Mike, we're going to talk about uh, a big decision that Amazon made this week to shutter all of its bookstores and most of its other brick-and-mortar stores except for grocery and presumably Amazon Style, their new showcase store in L.A. All right. So there's been three articles over the last – or three news stories over the last four weeks about Amazon and stores. The first one was in CNBC about the sort of – cavalier way that they were treating their various stores. Although if you dug it deeply into the article, you realize that with Fresh, where they are building almost, they're taking over existing closed grocery stores 
building them out specifically so that they can deliver from that store efficiently and then also having some retail presence, you realize that there are things that they are focusing on. I think this cleaning out of stores at the most recent article really reflects a sort of recognition that they don't have much to add in selling books at retail. They don't have much to add in selling four-star rated products at retail. It's like when I read about those stores, they said where they were the most uncurated messes they people had ever seen. <laughs> so you're talking about gross- Amazon, Amazon four star in particular. Four star, yeah. Those are, those they, are they had those are totally weird stores. I've been I've been in right. in them, and they're very strange. Sorry. And so not only are they strange, but they don't add any real value to the to the project. And so I think they look at groceries as one a huge market, two one where they can add unique value on two fronts. One is checkout. And the other's delivery. And I think that you will see there was a recent article in the New York Times about their, uh, they're taking a whole food and finally putting in the just walk out technology into this totally redone whole foods. And I think what you'll see is that bifurcated strategy where whole foods with just walk out technology versus fresh with a really strong delivery component as well as just walk out technology and also, the 7-Eleven type store, those are the three areas that I think they're going to play in. And they, they can play there because it speaks to their technology strength. I, go it, ahead. It's, it also strikes me on the grocery front that those grocery stores are, are sort of uniquely, um, u- uniquely interesting to Amazon from a logistics perspective because there's a lot of specialized equipment in grocery stores around food storage and that sort of thing. Whereas books, you can store in any warehouse anywhere. And the, the delivery component is not as essential in terms of getting them there, getting them to a, a person's house before something expires. So you don't need as, as distributed a network of book warehouses as you do with, with food and, and beverage. So uh, I agree, Mike. I think that they're, they're going to be a long-term player in grocery, um, even separate and apart from the Whole Foods brand. And um, I think that that makes a lot of sense for them as, as a brand position. I think that the the you know I sort of see them in, in a certain way analogous to Tesla. Maybe that's too grandiose a comparison with the just walk out technology. There are a bunch of companies that are working on it. This Amazon is sort of often thought of as the only one that has this, but there are other companies that have this. And so I think Amazon is going to establish a kind of perceived demand for this, or or set a competitive bar that others will quickly have to follow. And I think eventually we'll see all of the major grocery chains with at least some version of this in some of their stores. I have yet to be in an Amazon Fresh store, so I haven't experienced it directly. I wonder about, you know, this is a very trivial point, but I think about bagging groceries. You know, I'm if I go into the store and I've got a ton of groceries that I'm buying, I appreciate somebody being there to help bag or to bag them on my behalf, as opposed to so, some self-checkout, so the dog agrees. She doesn't like bagging. She doesn't like bagging groceries either. But, but I, I mean, I think is this. You know, I mean, I think it's cool to be able to just leave the store without standing in line. But what's that going to be like from a, you know, from that so, that aspect of the customer experience? So the flip side of that is, I I frequently bring my own bags from home, and I hate having to unload the bag on the on the carousel or whatever it's called carousel thing that runs through the checkout and then put everything back in the bag. It would definitely be easier just to put stuff in my bags, in my cart and walk to my car. That, that could um, all be, so I, that could well be. 
Yeah, so I, I maybe see it as a positive for reusable bags and, and reducing the amount of plastic and even recycled paper that we're using. Well, I, I so also... At BJ's, they don't they don't back for you right now, which is a Costco competitor that we have locally, and mm -hmm. it ends up when you in New York State where you're required to have your own bags or you have to pay extra, it ends up not being a huge impediment to to convenience. Although I could see where it might be. Sort of one one final point before we um, we go to the to the final item today. Um, you know, stores are very important for Amazon, regardless of what they are, in order to, um, I mean, they have Amazon lockers in some of the Whole Foods, but really just to, as a return, you know, they, they, they've established a number of partners like UPS Store, where you can return products, um, rather than having to, well, I mean, going to the UPS Store is kind of like having to ship it back. But at, at, at Whole Foods in particular, you just take the thing in, it doesn't have to be packaged up and you drop it off. And it's the most convenient thing ever. And so they need to maintain some physical, some real world, world presence for that level of convenience. And they could certainly do it in the grocery stores. So that's that's fine. But I think that that's been a kind of key development for them that's helped them. Uh, and also Prime membership helps you in the grocery store. So there's another angle there for them is that it reinforces Prime, the benefits of Prime as well. But but price is another factor here. I, I, I don't know if this is a is a... Is a mass market phenomenon. It may be, but it's it may be for people who are very tech savvy or techn technologically inclined or for people who have more disposable uh, money to spend on groceries um, because most people are going to go to where they can get the cheapest groceries. And I don't know how that's going to factor into all of this. We'll see, obviously. We will see. Yeah. So uh, the final item today um, is um, we're circling back to Nextdoor, which released its uh, earnings. Was it this week? It feels like. I think it was this yeah, week. Least, I was going to say it was last we week, but week. it's just a lot. So much is going on. Yeah. Um, so Nextdoor released its first formal earnings after their SPAC IPO. Um, and uh, there were a number of interesting findings in there, David, that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, just the first was, well, first of all, they reported the uh, quarterly revenue was up 48% year over year, um, which is impressive, uh, I guess, from, from any measure. Um, the, the flip side of that is the revenue was only 59 million. And I, <laughs> just in terms of the, um, the level of interest that Nextdoor seems to have in the local SaaS community, I expected a B on the front of it for whatever reason. Um, and so I went and did a little bit of, of quick math. It's uh, essentially one thirteen hundredth of Alphabet's quarterly revenue and one six hundredth of Meta's quarterly revenue and something like one two hundredth of Twitter's quarterly revenue. Um, and I think that that's, it just shows that Nextdoor has a very, very, very long way to go from a revenue standpoint. And I know that they just started on, you know, monetizing not, not that long ago. But the, then the other side of that is that their, their weekly active user count was only 36 million, which struck me as a very low number and not something that is all that, uh, monetizable just generally. Um, and so I, I think that Nextdoor still has a unique place in the market. Uh, I think that they could be executing much better from a product standpoint as a consumer and certainly from a product standpoint as a, an advertising uh, platform or as a, as a acquisition, customer acquisition tool for businesses. 
Um, but I don't know that they're going to be this, this sort of local replacement for Facebook that uh, a lot of people had, had predicted. And I may even have predicted it historically. I was pretty, I was pretty um, excited for Nextdoor and in, in sort of the mid teens. And increasingly, the longer I stayed on the platform as a user, it just evolved into a bunch of conversations from really annoying people. And in many cases, these annoying people were there, were next door sort of self-anointed next door elite. Um, they are self-appointed uh, next door elite that they had chosen as like community managers. So um, I think it's a really, they're, I, I'm still rooting for anybody to, to come along and, and, you know, provide an alternative to Facebook and Google at the, at the local level. But I'm increasingly pessimistic that it's, it's going to be next door. Um, I think they run into the same content moderation problems that all of these major players do, and they have nowhere close to the scale uh, to either deal with the moderation issues or the, uh, or to leverage their, their base of users for advertising or customer acquisition purposes. So it was a, an interesting report. They're clearly, you know, they're growing at a, a still a, a pretty reasonable rate, but they have a long way to go. And I'm just not sure that they're ever going to get there. So. Well, the, the, uh, the user, the active is it's monthly active users, I think. Or they, they said weekly active weekly, users. Okay. So 30, weekly active. Million. Yeah. Right. So that's important. Uh, obviously the more, the more, so weekly sort of splits the baby between daily and monthly, which is what Facebook uses. But, um, considering that they've been around since 2010, that's a, that's a low number. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we're 12 years in and that's a low number for them. And I think, as you point out, some of the issues are cultural issues, meaning, you know, the culture that is exists on next door. They're trying to transition from a kind of neighborhood watch culture to one where people trade word of mouth recommendations and otherwise engage with one another. And they've had a lot of difficulty doing that. Um, another point I would make is that they are going to rely on self-service advertising by small businesses to generate a lot of revenue growth, which I think is a dicey proposition for anybody that wants to do that. Um, they will have to make it you know, incredibly simple, which they're trying to do. But I think that that's going to be really challenging. Yeah. And from, from the business standpoint in particular, I, as a user, I don't know what the business side looks like, but as a user, it's incredibly difficult to see what conversations are happening anywhere outside of your zip code. Right. So even well, though they're trying to expand, I, I'm adjacent to three or four different neighborhoods in, in where I live in Portland to where I want to know what was going on because it's a mile bike ride or whatever. It's very, very hard to sort of get involved in those conversations. And certainly for businesses, their customer radius is a lot wider than the default radius that Nextdoor sets as a, as a user. So I, it could be just a problem with the way the product is constructed sort of architecturally. I, I think they're trying to address that. They have the chief product officers from LinkedIn, and I think there's a number of strategies that they're going to implement that will will broaden out the networks. They're trying mm-hmm. to expand people's communities. Mike, did you want to say anything about Nextdoor? How's Nextdoor yeah. uh, Olean doing this? Actually, recently I've gotten several invitations to join. Mm-hmm. I am of the sort of Groucho Marx belief that I'm not sure I want to be a member of any club that would have me as a member. <laughs> So I've resisted. It's like one more thing one has to do. So I have not. And I live way out in the country, so I don't have to interact with my neighbors. And I then avoid these kinds of disappointments. So <laughs> it's not for me. Well, one one quick point that goes back to the reviews discussion at the beginning. You know, you can get local business recommendations on Nextdoor that are 
it's an it's an alternative source and they are often pretty good um you know it is a place that i go to look for people and in one case there was a carpenter that i found a guy to build fences and other stuff out of wood and he said that uh, somebody had recommended him on next door and he was overwhelmed by like 90 inbound leads you know kind of organic mm-hmm. leads um, so they are able to deliver some real value for small businesses, but I agree with you, it's it's challenging right now to sort of get at that information. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- but th- but that's an opportunity for them that hasn't been fully exploited. So I think I think with that we're we're all out of time this week. Unfortunately, we have more we could go into, but um, uh, as always, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining David, Mike, and Greg. To stay on top of the latest developments in local, subscribe to our newsletter at nearmedia.co. We'll see you next week.